Welcome to the Beacon Broadcast from Beacon Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina, featuring expositional Bible teaching by Pastor Greg Barkman. If you'd like to correspond with the Beacon Broadcast, or if you wish to support this radio ministry, write to The Beacon Broadcast, Post Office Box 159, Alamance, North Carolina, 27201, or find us on the web at beaconbaptist.com beaconbaptist.com The Beacon Broadcast is supported in part by the gifts of faithful listeners. Now with today's message from God's Word, here is Greg Barkman. Well, we have now basically completed our exposition <laughs> I started to say exegesis, but that's not the right word. Our exposition of first or Second Corinthians chapter twelve. But before we move on into chapter thirteen, the final chapter of this epistle, I think we ought to draw a few lessons and applications from this chapter, and then we can move on into the next chapter. And we will do that in reverse order. In other words, we'll start at the end where we have been most recently and move backwards, at least part of the way back into the chapter over the last section or so, to draw appropriate applications for our lives today. You may recall that in the last two verses of this chapter, Paul lists a number of sins that were apparently being practiced in the Corinthian church. And he said, I'm writing this epistle so that you can be warned <laughs> that I'm aware of these things, and then I'm going to delay my visit for a little while to give you opportunity to deal with these things, and then I'm going to come and visit with you as a matter of accountability to make sure that you have dealt with these things. So you are now warned. You are now alerted to what is coming next, and therefore I'm expecting you to roll up your sleeves and do the hard work of eliminating these things out of your lives and out of your church life. And he lists eight things in verse 20, uh, 20 rather, that are sins against God and need to be dealt with, and then three things in verse 21. The list in verse 20 are things that many times are not considered to be that serious, but Paul takes them seriously. So we too should do the same. We need to deal with contentions and jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, and tumults. And I won't go back through those because we've already done that. I hope you've been with us when we went through and explained each one of these various sins. But then Paul goes on to talk about three things that are exceedingly problematic. They are the biggies. In one way, every sin is a sin, and so in some, some ways of looking at it, it's not really appropriate to categorize one sin as more serious than another sin. And yet, and yet we find indications in the Bible that God does exactly that. And here is one of those places. There are 
certain sins, eight of them listed in verse 20. And then there's a separate list in verse 21, and that list is uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness. And Paul deals with them differently. We'll, we'll not go back to that either. We've already pointed that out, but Paul deals with them differently. And he makes it clear that those three sins in verse 21 that all have to do with sexual immorality are more serious than the ones in verse 20, which nevertheless are things that need to be removed. So all of them are sins. All of them are unacceptable. All of them need to be dealt with. But these last three are particularly problematic, particularly harmful to those who participate in them. So we're going to go back and take a look at that after I welcome you to this Monday, November 27 edition of the Beacon Broadcast, and thank you for considering our financial needs in order to continue teaching on this station. I'm going to begin with these three sins in verse 21 that relate to sexual immorality. Verse 21 says, Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness. Now, technically speaking, the word fornication probably would cover the other two. Because in the Greek language, the word fornication was a rather broad word, broader than we generally use it today. It was a rather broad word that included any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage. But he throws in two other words, uncleanness and lewdness. And those words can define the kind of sins that have to do with the mind and the eye and may be, by some people, put outside the category of actual fornication because our, our mind loves to play little tricks and we love to convince ourselves, for example, that, yes, I agree, fornication is wrong. I shouldn't have sex with someone who's not my husband or wife, but, hey, looking at pornography, that's not fornication. Telling dirty jokes, that's not fornication. Well, probably it is, in the way that the Bible uses the term fornication. It probably includes more than just the actual activity of participating with another human being in a sexual uh, act outside of marriage. But, yes, just to be sure that you understand that this includes more than what you do with another person. It also has to do with what you do in your mind to feed your mind with lascivious thoughts. And so he throws in uncleanness and lewdness along with fornication. And the point is this, that sexual immorality is not acceptable among believers, even though it seems to be considered acceptable, at least at some level, among many believers today. The, the uh, what should I say, the playing field keeps tilting, keeps shifting. And what was considered to be inappropriate and unacceptable 
in the previous generation is now considered not to be so bad in the present generation, at least in the minds of some. Those who have a rather sliding scale of morality, which basically, just think it through and understand what you're doing here, basically it's just following the standards of the world, though usually a step or two behind. The world goes first down the slippery slide of greater and greater sexual immorality, and many Christians, professing Christians at least, many churches, professing churches at least, I'll throw that in as well, uh, sometimes just sort of follow along behind the world, but not quite as quickly, just a step or two behind, but it's not long after the world has considered premarital sex completely normal, even advisable. That is the case today, isn't it? Most people are convinced that it's better to try your mate out in bed for a while before you tie the marriage knot because, after all, you need to make sure that you're going to have a good sexual relationship in marriage. And how can you know unless you test drive your partner, kind of like test driving a, a potential car to buy, you test drive your partner in this area to make sure that you are compatible, co compatible to make sure that you uh, are pleasing to each other in this area. And that has become so common that waiting for sex until marriage has become so rare that it's even, um, it's considered to be odd. I can remember, this goes back quite a while ago now, when one of our daughters had a, oh, had a physical problem that took her to the emergency room. She was in college. In fact, she was in graduate school at this time, was living at home and, and uh, going to graduate school. And she was um, taken to the emergency room with this, with this uh, particular condition. And after she was examined and they, they found out what to do to treat her, the nurse came out from the examination and congratulated the parents, meaning my wife and I, for the astonishing fact that our daughter was still a virgin. That nurse evidently had not come across that before. Is that possible? It seemed to be the, 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 the situation in her case. It is so common that you just expect that a young woman in her early 20s is going to be sexually active. That's just the way everybody does it today. And so, of course, you can't expect that Christians are going to do differently if this is what everybody does. Everybody accepts. Everybody says it's okay. Everybody says that it's advisable. No, everybody doesn't. And the standard is not what everybody thinks and everybody says and what everybody advises. The standard is, what does God say? What does God's Word say? And this is just one of many texts that we could go to to find the answer to that question. Some have sinned and have not repented of, 2 Corinthians 12, 21, uncleanness fornication, and lewdness, which they have practiced. That is not acceptable 
among Christians. Now, it is true that though it is not acceptable among Christians, believers, true believers, may stumble and fall into these sins. But if they are true believers, they will acknowledge that it's wrong, they will repent, they will confess, they will forsake, they will mourn what they have done, they will not excuse it, they will not continue, they will not live in it. They will grieve over their failure and the damage that it has caused to themselves and to their partner or partners and to the testimony of Christ, and they will be humbled by their sin, and they will stop it by God's help and grace. They'll do whatever they need to do to cut off that relationship, cut off that pornographic viewing, get rid of whatever it is that tempts you into that, stop. If you can't control your your cell phone, if you can't control your computer, if you can't control the mechanism that is bringing this to you, then get rid of it. You say, that seems pretty, pretty drastic. Well, what did Jesus say? If your eye offends you, cut it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. It's better to go through life maimed than to go into hellfire. And someone who won't repent of this or won't deal with it in a serious way is calling serious, a quest, serious question into their profession of faith. Having a profession of faith is not the same as having been regenerated by the Spirit of God. Not everybody who says that they are a Christian and that they have been born again has truly been born again by the Spirit of God. And the way we know is by the different responses that people have towards sin. And Christians are fighting against it and are acknowledging that it ought not to be in their lives, and unbelievers are excusing it and pursuing it. And if you're a Christian and you fall or call yourself a Christian and fall into the category of those who are pursuing it, then your profession needs to be called into very serious question. Well, we'll take this up again, Lord willing, tomorrow. Please join me then. Until then, Greg Barkman saying good day. May God give you his eternal peace.